Hey folks, Joseph Noob here. As you probably guessed from the title of this episode, we are talking about the psychology of the Final Fantasy series with Dr. Anthony Bean, a PhD who has uh, recently edited a book uh, called Surpassing the Limit Break, the Psychology of Final Fantasy. Uh, just wanted to give all of you a little warning ahead of time that this conversation deals with topics like trauma, uh, gender identity, um, politics, uh, violence, religion, life and death. So if any of those topics are uh, upsetting to you or just uh, sensitive ground, totally understand and we will see you in the next episode. But otherwise, this was a very fascinating discussion to hear someone with a lifetime of research into the psychology behind video games explain how the core tenets of all that research and, and that field of science uh, relate to one of the biggest JRPG franchises, one of the biggest video game franchises, period, uh, of all time. And I think you guys will enjoy it. So here is the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 1099 Podcast. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and I am so thankful that you are all are still here with us. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying uh, safe and sound as uh, the quarantine world continues to roll along. Uh, for us California friends, make sure that you are uh, prepared for fire season and all that. Make sure you're taking care of your neighbors and uh, be good to others around you. But this week, I have a really fascinating discussion for you. Um, I happened to stumble upon a book called Surpassing the Limit Break, The Psychology of Final Fantasy. I am not the biggest Final Fantasy guy in the world, although it has certainly you know, colored uh, my work and uh, the, the culture of gaming. Uh, and obviously it is the uh, most famous JRPG series, bar none. And I have a licensed clinical psychologist, game researcher, executive director of the Telos Project, and editor on multiple books about the psychology of video games. It's Dr. Anthony Bean, here to talk about his new book, uh, <laughs> I just said the title, Surpassing the Limit Break, The Psychology of Final Fantasy. Dr. Bean, how are you today? I am doing fantastic and I'm super excited to be here today. Well, thank you so much for you know sending me a copy of the book, a physical copy. It's 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 rare to get physical copies of books for, uh, you know, like prearranged interviews like this. But it has been a fascinating read, and I've gotten through I think all but two of the essays in here. Uh, and despite not being a big Final Fantasy guy, I've played fifteen. I uh, played a little bit of the seven remake, and like. I'm familiar with you know 10 and 12 and some of the more modern ones just having grown up alongside them but uh, it was a fascinating read to see from a very clinical like scientific uh, angle uh, how uh, the, the the worlds that these characters inhabit um, illustrates and exemplify so many psychological uh, uh, concepts and fundamentals that you would obviously study if you were uh, seeking a degree in psychology of some sort. And like I, I also used to work in a Barnes and Noble. So like I am no stranger to the pop culture psychology section. So I, I had my doubts where I was like, oh, OK, I wonder if this is like a, a good book or if this is kind of like a like a cash grab. But I, I am glad to say it is uh, a really well-written, well-researched, um, featuring uh, works from multiple different authors, then we'll dive into some of those later. But I would love to know, um, to get some of the basics out of the way, uh, be it Zelda, Final Fantasy, or just like more clinical therapeutic exercises, uh, why do video games feature such a strong relationship with the study of psychology, and what made you uh, really want to focus on that as part of your work? Well, so this is a really interesting uh, aspect, I think, because a lot of people like to think like, hey, we just took psychology and we applied it to to the book. In, 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 in some levels, yeah, you can definitely say that. However, on, on a different level, the game itself is already alive with psychology because they have people who are game programmers, people who they're talking to. What does this actually look like? What does it mean to, let's say, with Cloud losing his, his memories and, mm -hmm. and being able to uh, come back to them? 
later on what does that actually look like for a disassociative fugue and so they actually have to talk to us about like what does this look like what are the people going to react to how are they going to go forward with this and so when we look at these games we're like look at the psychological aspect that's so powerful for for people who are playing this game whether it's zelda like zelda sight silent uh, protagonist where you get to project upon that that person and and really be able to play as that that individual so every time you shut off that game you have to reclaim that projection the same thing works in in psychology of final fantasy even though you're playing as four characters because technically they're what we call a, a conceptual whole and they have to work together and you create that cohesion yourself which can be seen in lots of different ways whether you go an all fighter bard um system at system uh, depending on which game you're playing or if you go into a, an actual well-rounded um system to to play based on your character choices and all games in a sense have that those abilities to to really dive into about our character choices how we see the game what does it give to us and what are the the aspects that we can really take home in and work with ourselves and our own intrapsychic like working with a, a geek gamer psychologist um, is is really really good and that's one of the reasons why we also do all those trainings on geektherapytraining.com to teach people about these type things but there there's also the ability that if you're savvy enough you can look at this game and be like i know what i i got from this game i know how to to go forward with it it's fascinating to hear you kind of talk about um like a, a effectively consultancy work uh like i assume that you must be uh reached out to by a number of companies to yeah to lend your expertise uh in d digesting like okay what what would this trauma or this uh psychological um, issue present to a character is that is that something that you kind of uh, experience every once in a while yeah, every so once in a while even Facebook has reached out for their Facebook gaming to to really um, hone in on what can we do for the community and how can we utilize these things for uh, our, our our own one self psyche and and being able to to manage our own mental health but also for the ability to to where do we go with this game and how do we present it in in this fashion for for people who may need these other types of uh, avenues for them and so then what uh specific like you you also uh, you mentioned the the zelda book you uh edited a similar a very similar book about the psychology of legend of zelda um so then moving from that project uh, into the world of Final Fantasy, um, what spoke to you as a psychologist about the worlds of Midgar, Gaia, Cocoon, Eos, uh, that are in, and all the ones uh, from Final Fantasy X forward or earlier? What were broad strokes kind of the things that said like, oh, this would be really rich, fertile ground for um, studying the, the field of psychology through these games? Oh gosh, there's. <laughs> it doesn't matter which game you pick up on the Final Fantasy series. <laughs> there's something in there. Now, my my favorite um, one to do is uh, Cocoon vo vo uh, versus Pulse, and the the reason mm. is is because it's like a night and day type uh, scenario where you can really kind of see the the idea of while you're over in the monster area, which I believe is Pulse. Or am I, am I mixing those up? I haven't played the game. In the years. it's the world the world of Final Fantasy thirteen and uh, and Lightning Returns. Yeah, I think I think the Pulse is the uh, the second world as opposed to the like default world that you start out in. Yeah, which is a cocoon. And so with with that, if we look at those two uh, two different worlds, they they're almost mirror opposites. One's chaotic and bestial, versus the other one is has some sort of sense of order and and has a bunch of people living by moral moral and uh, different rules and regulations. But there, if we utilize those types of things and being able to tra traverse them and look at them from a psychological or psychoanalytic point of view, where uh, cocoon would be kind of the, the 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 main starting area where you start at it becomes like your consciousness and pulse is the actual um what we call the unconscious and the stuff that we actually have to work on because it has all the animalistic instincts the mm. ability to to control our impulses and and gain ourselves stronger whenever we deal with psychology we have to get into the nitty-gritty we have to be able to to talk about the things that we don't really want to talk about because and we try to avoid because those are the things that we we need to to really hone in on a little bit more and so 
to have that displayed in a game is just one of the many different aspects of of being able to to pull these different uh, different themes out in being able to talk about them in a virtual way but also a literal way that our clients can actually then utilize and go play the game be like i totally get what you're saying now i can totally see how this this works and you know, speaking of of elements that perhaps we do, we don't want to normally talk about, or, or that we would rather leave you know unspoken about, a great chunk of this book is dedicated to the expression of trauma, uh, be it mental, physical, emotional, and how that's expressed through the growth that various characters undergo. Uh, Lightning from Final Fantasy Thirteen and Terra from Six slash Three, depending on what, which country you live in, uh, feature heavily due to their experience with either like fighting to push away elements that remind them of their traumas uh, or working to regain what was lost. Terra was uh, uh, had a like crown on her head that basically gave her like forced amnesia, and then afterwards had to like work to refigure out who she was. Uh, and then Tara also, her body also experienced symptoms of, tra- of that trauma long after it occurred, uh, resulting in a state of hypervigilance, even though she was really young when that trauma occurred. And as far as my experiences, uh, the, that experience and the, the people that I, you know, know and love that passage is really spot on as far as those lived experiences and other trauma survivors. I know, uh, Tara later learns to coexist with the manifestations of her trauma rather than allow them to overtake her from your per- professional perspective. What is it about those characters and their lives that really connects to what the, um, the author, uh, Branham describes as the warrior archetype and how we try to treat real world survivors and patients. That's a great question. So the, the first, the first statement of, we, we focused a lot on trauma because you can't, you can't play a Final Fantasy game and not experience uh, see the characters that experience trauma. It's, yeah. it's just so prevalent from one all the way to the it, newest it, one. It's almost like required, yeah. It, it is, and it, and it kind of goes into the the idea of uh, of a model that we we tend to work from, where you you have to be um, orphaned on some level. And a lot of video games, if you think across all of them, uh, produce you or start you off as an orphan. In in with that that orphan archetype, you have to then push through. You have to then choose one of these these other ways of of existing and and battle your way through the world utilizing those other types of archetypes and so one of them is the warrior archetype and it's also um about the the idea of of uh, sometimes women in our in our world are looked down upon because they have this ferocious warrior archetype or what we kind of say is this mama bear uh type of of being and interacting with the world around us and uh, our our current culture doesn't always appreciate that as much as they should. This this type of, of energy takes a lot of energy in order to overcome, and it, it focuses on the the idea that women don't have to be these these just feeble characters that only rely on healing or or are healers in in that aspect. They can pick up a sword, and they go bash some some monsters' brains in if they they really wanted to. It's one of the reasons I think that a lot of people liked Lightning's story because she mm-hmm. she kind of comes in from from this aspect of I am looking at it from this very narrow narrow uh, point of view and throughout the game and especially with her her talks with hope throughout the narrative she starts to see this other this other side of, of who she is and how she can help the world around her and in that one helps her overcome her own personal trauma of losing her sister but also lets her expel the the idea that she can only be this one way this only this um this warrior archetype that has some devastating characteristics if it's used in the wrong way and so to be able to to kind of talk about those those different uh, connections those different whether it's uh, those those different aspects of trauma and how to overcome them and how do you need to like learn how to coexist with them and, and not let them take control is super super important and i think that that when when we were looking at this this book and these chapters and these abilities to to really kind of talk and and focus in on what is the the main story that we're we're trying to say here and mix in that psych, psychological aspects but also stay within that narrative uh, of the the game itself we really wanted to make sure that we hit 
everything possible. One of the big things we learned from like the psychology of Zelda, there's a lot of Jungian focus in there, a lot of Jungian psychology. Mm, and yeah. that's because I'm, I'm trained as a, as a Jungian psych psychologist and Legend of Zelda has so many, so many different things, so many more than we even had a chance to talk about. Final Fantasy, we wanted to go a little bit different direction and use a lot more psychological uh, material um, that are out, that's out there to, to talk about these types of things, whether it's uh, going through the traumas um, of of being uh, actually physically or emotionally traumatized, or is it like that ex existentialism with Vivi in in one of the games where he kind of has to find his own own way with the knowledge that he's going to stop working at some point? Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of the more fascinating sides of uh, exploring trauma through a game or just through any story. Really, is the moment a character. Um, really learns like oh, okay I, I didn't have to uh I, I don't have to live like this I can live in a much more constructive way but they're all but real in the real world that often includes living with the trauma as a like cohabitator as opposed to a landlord in your head and uh seeing that like translated into um video games especially in interactive medium it can often be an interesting thing. Do you do you have any thoughts, like as far as uh, you know your, your professional background, as far as um, the way that those characters uh, uh, manifest that cohabitation with their own trauma? Because you also you also do mention the the gender subtypes uh, that is also the subject of another chapter here in the book. Um, uh, the the woman warrior archetype, which which is contrasted by the the very motherly. Uh, uh, tropes. The uh, Aerith is a wallflower. Um, Yuna is kind of a uh, motherly figure, and Tifa is really the only like she's like got a motherly side to her too. But she's got that woman warrior type. Maybe she, maybe Tifa is the one that we should be like idolizing instead of Cloud because uh, she <laughs> seems to have she seems to have a, a more clear idea of uh, how to live her life. But yeah, what what do you think about the? Uh, process of learning to live with your trauma as a character in one of these worlds. I think that where, where whenever we see the the different characters where they start off as, we can start to attune to them because we we've all kind of felt some sort of trauma, whether it's the big T trauma, the little T trauma, the big things that are like life altering versus the little things that are like. I don't really like this and I'm going to move past it because I, I really kind of have to and I'm going to utilize it into my my benefit later on. And so when when we see all these characters come together at the beginning, we're learning about their stories. We're learning how they came into be, what they need to go for, what they need to 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 work from. And throughout the narrative, the what's one of the wonderful things that I really really love about uh, Square Enix is that they like to take a lot of different mythological narratives and merge them together and show it throughout that narrative. How do you overcome these types of, of beings and these, these ideas? And the main thing that we, we would probably say is that you experience the trauma, you acknowledge the trauma exists, and through that acknowledgement, you then say, well, I know it's here. I know I've been traumatized. Where do I go from here? And that's what brings in the, the rest of the party is that you're not alone. You have a community around you. You have people to, to, to fight on your, on your behalf to, to strengthen your weaknesses and you strengthen theirs to show that if we work together as a team, from a psychological standpoint, from a community standpoint, that we actually can overcome these these types of traumas in a lot of easier ways and a lot different uh, mannerisms that are super super important for for us as individuals and to 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 take that trauma and utilize it to our benefit. It doesn't have to hold us back. It can it can be a part of of who we are, but it's also the people around us that go and make us better and and bring us together to to help solidify that this trauma is not who you are are it is something that you have experienced I, I think that's one of the 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 key con like as i've gone through therapy and uh recently starting antidepressants and whatnot and having plenty of friends and and uh loved ones in the game community who have had their own journeys with um uh tackling their their traumas uh i i I think that like uh, one of the biggest struggles that like previous generations had and even lots of people still like, you know, in their their 20s and teens years these days uh, struggle with is, like you say, uh, not realizing 
the the sheer amount of tools around them or sources of support around them support can take the form of a friend it can take the form of family but can also take the form of you know clinical treatments and uh and fun and like i i've had my like my parents for example to pull from personal life they've had their own misgivings about like well you know why why would you you know share that kind of uh, uh information about yourself you know instead of just like letting it lay low and it's like well you know i i i don't think that that's the i've i've learned that that is not the healthiest way to live my life um to to suffer through that alone and i'm i'm glad you brought that point up too because uh Another aspect that this book explores is also community-based trauma, and like what a what a perfect time to talk about community-based trauma as we enter month. Let's see, March, April, May, <laughs> June, July, August, and coming up September. So we're almost at month seven of quarantine in our homes, uh, give or take, depending on where you live, I guess, and. Uh, there, I, I cannot escape the idea that there is going to be, there is already so much community-based trauma from having businesses go under, having, you know, uh, families frayed and even, even, I, I, I won't say who, but like even people that I am, uh, pretty uh, physically and, uh, somewhat emotionally close to are like going through like divorce proceedings or like, or their own version of therapy because, I think that the 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 shut inness of quarantine has finally gotten to them and finally like kind of pulled back a couple of band aids they would have rather left uh, uh, closed. So, community based trauma. Final Fantasy X is kind of the prime example that the book goes into uh, with the religion of the world that uh, Yuna is like. She's a summoner, and uh, for God, it's. <laughs> Let me try to summarize Final Fantasy X real quick. Uh, there is a weird death whale called Sin. Uh, this guy, like thousands of years in the past, made it, and it's like destined to like destroy the world. And these religious summoners sacrifice themselves to base to what they think, like get rid of it forever. But it always comes back. And long story short, the religion is shown to be like a false religion and like merely a, a means of kind of controlling the masses to believe in something and like perpetuate this cycle of death and rebirth and uh i thought i, I had not played final fantasy 10 but i thought it was so fascinating that um even despite some very horrible things like murder and like genocidal warfare and just very systematic uh, uh corruption on the part of these uh religious leaders in this fantasy world um, the cast kind of refuses to believe that they're on the wrong side or that the, or that their their uh, beliefs have been wrong uh, even after all that awful stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about like what uh, community based trauma looks like uh, from your professional point of view and how you study that as opposed to individual trauma and uh, how that kind of interfaces with a story like Final Fantasy X's? Oh, sure. Wow. We, that's a loaded question. But yes, let's do that. <laughs> uh, so so when someone is traumatized individually, they they tend to have something solely happen to them. And the rest of the, the other people obviously don't necessarily have it. There's only the perpetrator and the victim. But when it happens to an entire community, when, let's let's use the L.A. riots as an example, right? So sure, the, yeah. the L.A. riots occurred because of suppression, because of systematic racism, because of all of these different types of community-based traumas that were happening in a system that we lived in at that time. Now, that's not to say those systems are still not present on some level, because they are. But the, the idea behind community-based trauma is it happens to everyone everyone is a victim on this but the problem is if everyone's a victim how can you actually acknowledge that it, it, it's actually happening without some some leaders actually pointing those types of things out so it can be like when there is a message set up from from a, a person in power and everyone's like oh yes yes that message that message is is true and everything but then some people are like well what what about these types of things that are happening like 
we, we just hurt these people. We just were having these problems in these other areas. And they're like, yeah, don't 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 pay attention to that. That's that's not what's the problem. They're they're actually your enemy. It creates an us versus them mentality that eventually gets rid of the the other side and absorbs them into that cognitive dissonance that oh what we're doing is actually correct because this is the the way that we're going to survive. And it's it's one of the reasons that we have so much uh, suppression and cultural suppression in a lot of different areas, and which creates community based trauma in these different uh, areas it's why the la riots happened and why we had so much uh, difficulty um, in those areas and we're seeing it again even in today's society that it, it's coming out again so it's the more community-based trauma that that occurs the more civil unrest the more difficulties that these things happen but what is interesting that happened in final fantasy 10 is that the summoners sacrificed themselves and by the time uh, sin kind of came back again everyone had forgotten what had happened they're like oh no it's back again what mm -hmm. happened and it's like guys just pay attention to what you did last time clearly it's not working figure out yeah. something else um, the, the, those who forget history doomed to repeat it etc etc yeah, et cetera, yeah. yeah. And that was that was kind of what happened in, in 10 until some people decided to finally get out of the out of the out of the way and, and forge their own destiny. It happened in the Matrix as well, if, if you've seen the Matrix. Um, mm -hmm. and that, there's a lot of community-based trauma in, in that aspect, in that movie. But it's it's really about how do we then go move to that supporting of that community? How do we move to to bring them um, the, the help that they actually need? And what do we have to do from a cultural standpoint to stop this from happening? I think one of the one of the words that gets um, bandied about the most is a uh, you know cognitive dissonance. Uh, you see that in even even like very casual uh, reflections on on video game storytelling uh, with stuff like Uncharted, where there's a, a level of cognitive dis dissonance between um, how many people Nathan Drake has really killed thousands and thousands of, of you know characters uh with the you know what happens in a cut scene where he's a jovial like wouldn't hurt a fly kind of guy uh and I, I i was fascinated too by the um the the that level of dissonance in characters because it is it is a very real world thing of like you know to i i don't know what the political makeup of my audience is at the moment but i i i have dealt with dissonance in my own family when i'm trying to present you know something of like hey look at this like thing going on in the world that like even impacts me but it's hard to uh get people to see that when they they may or may not necessarily even want to see it in the first place so uh do you have any thoughts about like the individual how those individual characters um uh like struggled to uh finally come to grips with the fact that like they were in the wrong uh, from a from a psychological study perspective yeah so even in in 10 they they had to have it like right in front of their faces and even in sometimes that, that that it happened in the game like the genocide of the entire population except for a couple one person was super sad and everyone else was like oh this is still this is fine this is what's happening and then mm -hmm. that one other person was like is it is this really what we're standing here for? Is this really what we are doing? We are, we just committed this. We just saw this with our own eyes and we're okay with this. Like this is injustice at this point. And so it's, it's about kind of challenging it in, in the correct atmosphere to be able to do that where you're not going to cause harm on the other side. A, a lot of, a lot of times what we tend to see is that when we cause a harm or we we talk about this injustice on some some levels if we don't talk about it in the right way if we just start doing a blame game we we cause a, a an unrest on the other side as well and then they push back and right now that other side we would say is the one that has the power so instead of being able to to be like hey this is unfair this is unjust what can you do to help us um with this and move us forward in this aspect in these different aspects in this cultural aspect it, it's more like hey you're causing the problem we're going to take you down and yes that's sometimes what it ends happen come <laughs> coming to in some cases <laughs> but in in other cases it's it's really about we have to have a conversation we i i feel like so much uh, communication um, has has gone downhill because us as as our our parents we 
like, and I'm sure a lot of people, if they're around our, our age, I was born in 85. So um, if people around our age, we were kind of like told like, hey, just do it. Like, I'm not asking you to, to, to fight me on this. Just do it. Like, be compliant. And our generation is is waking up to that over the last, I would say, eight to ten years, and being like, "Why this this doesn't yeah. this doesn't make sense? Why are we continuing to do something that doesn't make sense just because you tell me to? Like, it, what are the reasons? And we're starting to discover there's not a lot of reasoning behind it. Um, that that's appropriate, we would say. There there's there's just like a lot of systematic, like say, racism or systematic issues that go through in in really cause a lot of harm for a lot of people. And so us as our generation of really feels like. Like we're pushing uh, an envelope that we've got a long fight ahead of us, but I think that we can we can definitely do that if we're willing to have those conversations. But again, that's that's one of the biggest problems is we've never been taught to have these conversations, so we're learning at the same time to to be able to focus in on what what how do I have to explain this to you in order for for it to be heard and not just push up back against. I think it's in the chapter in the book that talks more about um, technology's impact on psychology, but there is the the very classic uh, uh, philosophy slash uh, psychology 101 concept of the allegory of the cave, wherein someone is trapped inside a cave for from birth, and the only thing that they see are like the shadows of creatures or something on the wall uh, from behind a wall that they, they like can't see the fire either. So like that's their only concept uh, conceptualization of uh, what else is out there in the world. But then once they break their chains and step out into the world and they see like, oh, everything's in 3D and color and uh, uh, all the senses going off, it, it it is a struggle for people who have uh, lived inside that, you know, quote unquote cave uh, for all their life, I, w- I would imagine. Yeah, I um, it, it's it's funny to me. We mentioned uh, uh, people like not being able to um, understand how to have those conversations, the, those difficult conversations and and to have conversations where conflict might arise. Uh, you wrote you yourself wrote a chapter in this book uh, called Dueling Drives Life and Death. And I think that this was fascinating because it, uh, it sees the various villains of Final Fantasy described as people wanting to go back to a time when there was less suffering, even if that results in what's called negative utilitarianism. And for those who don't know, like general utilitarianism, I, I did learn that one in, in my 101 courses back mm-hmm. in community college. Uh, it's it's what will produce the greatest good. Um, it's okay if there's like some bad coming from this, but like what of these options will produce the greatest good and like living your life or, you know, structuring your society around that. Uh, for better or worse, there's there's plenty of argument about it. It's it's something we see in those who struggle with mental health or those who perhaps suffer from narcissism. Something that even I've had to like talk to my uh, therapist about. Uh, why th- th- it's called the death instinct. So a character like um, Sephiroth wanting to destroy the world to like make it more pure. Uh, why is that so alluring in the real world and as a storytelling tool? It's super alluring because it's it's the polar opposites, and you have to fight against something. So a, a lot of our our cultures uh, like to be like, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to fight for the the small person. I'm going to fight for myself in a lot of levels. And they go up against someone really, really big. And this is one of my favorite chapters that I've ever written because I actually got to uh, quote um, Jeff Goldblum on this one. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly my, uh, my uh, uh, heightened ability of my, my, my height, like, my, my ceiling. I'm not going any farther higher. Than you'll this. Uh, you'll you'll have to do a, a book on the psychology of Jurassic Park. I it, know it'll it's, be so it's good. It's fate now. Yeah, <laughs> get him to, to write the intro. But the, yeah. the 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 whole idea is that the the villains themselves. Well, we've all heard the the, the phrase. You um, either die a hero or you see yourself. Uh, you live long enough to see yourself as the villain, and and that kind of rings a has a lot of truth to it and the reason it has a lot of truth is because when we feel like we're going up against something let's say against sephiroth or a vain soldier or soldier uh depending on how you phrase it the um we are we're like we're righteous in this stuff you you are causing dis, disrest you're causing problems you're causing that community trauma we talked about and in in those instances in those uh, spaces though that these things are happening the villain can't see it 
um, they're like, no, this is the only way that I can do this. Like, I see so much suffering. I'm in, I'm in this place of power. Let me stop this suffering. It doesn't matter that all of you are going to be destroyed in the process, but the suffering is going to end, and I'm going to be the one to end it. And that's the mentality that they, they have, because in their mind, they are the hero of the story. They are mm-hmm. the ones who are going to save everybody. But in reality... They are not. <laughs> they are the ones who are causing so much pain, but they they can't see that. They can't see the the systematic stuff because they're not in it any longer. They're they're hot, too far high above it. So when we when we try to to utilize these types of of beings and being able to to talk about these these different aspects of of being villains versus heroes, we we also want to humanize the the villain side and try to show like what are what are they thinking like why are they doing this like when when thanos uh destroyed half the population how for the reasoning like we saw a lot of people online were like i can understand i don't agree with the way he did it but i i can't understand why he why he did it in a lot of levels and a lot of people were like huh what does this mean about my personal psyche on a lot of levels? Um, but that that death instinct is so alluring because it 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 we become complacent. We come up, become put our blinders on. We we can't see anything else. We're like this is the only way. After all my thoughts and everything that comes it comes down to is I need to stop the suffering and this is the only true way to do that. When as we've talked about in the trauma a lot in this one, suffering leads to growth. And that growth is just as important as the suffering that we're put through because it, it really helps us on understanding more about ourselves and where we need to go in the future. I, hearing you talk about that, I think a little bit about um, also how, for lack of a better term, like social ostracization kind of plays a role in some of that stuff of like when a narcissist or a sociopath um, you know, a clinically diagnosed sociopath uh, feels like they are above or just separated from the rest of society. Uh, that fundamentally change your changes your perspective on what how how much impact you have and like and how positive or negative that impact can be. Like, it's it's one thing to kill one person; it's another thing to kill you know fifty million. That's uh, whatever number high number you want to say. Um, and I think that that gloms so well onto kind of stereotypical mustache twirling villainhood, uh, that like maybe we as, um, as Western audiences, uh, we, we enjoy that because like we, we like stories where it's everything or nothing, um, as opposed to, um, you know, well, like what, what is it? We, of course we live in quarantine times. Like what does it matter that 170,000 people last I checked, uh, uh, died, you know, what does it matter? It's just a statistic, but like, as soon as it hits, uh, someone close to you or someone who's like had their own impact on you, it suddenly becomes so much more real. Uh, so the sociopathy of, of, removing yourself from society and and feeling like you're not part of that community there's a i think was it, was it young who had a term for that um uh it makes makes sense i don't know if you had thoughts about that well i mean if we're gonna get slightly political here um so i apologize for for anyone that is listening in <laughs> on that but it but it's actually um it's what, what you just described is is so prevalent in our political culture on both sides so here's the thing it's not just one side or the other i'm gonna pick on one side just slightly just because it is is very prevalent and it's actually uh, relevant to to my field of psychology so we used to have tons of mental institutions ran by the states right here across the the entire united states every state had multiple ones and they they were there for a reason they were there for a lot of different uh reasonings and that was the culture that was happening inside of them great no was the the thing that they were uh, the reason they existed was it was it important yes what we ended up having in the reagan era was a a deinstitutionalization of all of those because what they did is they harped on the inadequacies of these things and that states shouldn't have to be paying for this the government shouldn't have to be paying for this why are we doing this if people aren't being treated well the intention was there to to change it from a a point of view from a from what it was into something different but the the reasoning behind it was like i'm just going to close it all down because it's not working clearly now 
that that type of mentality in our political system tends to happen quite often and it doesn't matter what it what's uh, purpose those things tight uh, serve or what how well maintained they are if it doesn't matter to me it doesn't exist and so with reagan specifically he was terrible and so against mental health and his wife was a uh, was against it as well until reagan got what amnesia uh, or not mm-hmm. amnesia um uh, a whole uh Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the the, the actual name of it. Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, until he got that, and then she became a a justice, a, a flag bearer on on the entire um, existence of we need to figure out what's going on with mental health. We need to figure out on what's going on with Alzheimer's, and that type of mentality only happens when it happens to them. It, uh, if it doesn't exist, um, if it if they're not uh, caused any sort of pain from that type of social cultural um, existence they don't pay attention to it and that that's a systemic problem across the entire united states yeah uh, to, <laughs> you could you could we could have like several podcasts about that certainly um it, yeah the it's th- along with stuff like the the aids crisis or just uh, uh systematic racism or uh uh economic uh imbalance um it it is always fascinating to me how uh it it really does take it happening to you before you truly understand it unless you work and suffer through the work necessary to empathize with uh someone unlike yourself which yeah goes goes back to the the classical final fantasy villains who feel removed from the world or above it uh and thus like the suffering of the many is worth it if uh if if in the end everything seems fine i i i'm not being entirely eloquent there but you get my point i I think i get your point (laughs) yeah uh fascinating stuff you know in the in the time we have left i would love to dig a little into um uh, amnesia and then crystals. Uh, a- amnesia is one of the most overused storytelling tropes in all mediums, um, not just video games and certainly not just Final Fantasy. Uh, but amnesia has really interesting implications for how much of uh, a person's um, history or identity that they forget as a result of trauma. Uh, whether or not they experience like a complete like erasure of uh, their identity. And I wonder, could you tell me a little bit about um, what amnesia looks like in real life and how uh, stories like Final Fantasies, you know, one through 15 do or do not um, uh, tackle it well or poorly? I would say seven is going to be your your number one bet and hallmark feature of all the final fantasies to look at it in cloud strife and that's just because he takes on someone else's persona because the trauma of actually what happening in losing those people was too much for him and it actually took a trauma of losing Eris or Aerith, depending on which way you, again you pronounce it um, and being able to to handle that and go forward in in those areas in order for him to overcome it for him to acknowledge like oh crap this isn't me this is I'm, I'm somewhere else what what actually happened to me so with with amnesia what it looks like is we we lose our memories we whether it's a disassociation a disassociative fugue where you literally take on a complete different identity which is really what happened to to cloud in that one he took on his <laughs> his friend's identity um because he watched him die and the 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 biggest uh, hallmark characteristics is there's a memory loss they don't recognize and it's it's real to them like i don't know who you are i don't know what's going on and i am this person why are you talking to me and it seems like they're they're actually in a different personality in a sense but if you look closer at them in that the historical importance you actually see that it's it's not a it's actually not a um what do you call it? A, a personality change. It's actually they took on someone else's persona, and that persona is is super important to to acknowledge because that's their reality, and that reality it may or may not be true or in, in true existence, but it still is a reality to that person, and that person's then reality has to be worked around appropriately in order to to actually functionality and give them back the 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 idea of their life as well. It takes a long 
long time too as well to to make that happen yeah, and I think um, I, I I didn't end up playing the Final Fantasy VII remake yet, but I watched my uh, former roommate play through basically all of it in a week, and it, it's interesting to me to see a character like Cloud Strife um, slowly begin to uh, understand that like he's he's living uh, someone else's life or that he has uh, erased parts of his his true identity. Um, it, do do you, when you see a character like that struggling with that and trying to come to terms with it, does it feel like uh like it, it, it's realistic in a sense, or is it more expedited in a game for cinematic storytelling purposes? I think in seven itself, it's it's a pretty good projection of what it looks like, and for those who have played it or haven't played it, or I'm sorry, you're gonna get some spoilers on this one. So in in the original seven, you you actually go into Cloud's mind and you help him make sense of certain things by talking to these different personality or different bits of who he is, and you start to get more of that story because he's starting to remember what it is. It's it's when the trauma is so severe and so difficult for them, they they can't necessarily um what's the right way of putting it they can't necessarily like make make heads or tails and so they put it in a box and they put it up on the shelf and they just look at it and they look at it like a wild animal if it mm. makes sense and so for cloud yeah. himself he he has to to come to terms with these are this is the actual existence that he he went through this is what he has has continued to go through but it, it, it's okay because you have your friend group now like he lost a friend and that's really kind of what likely separated him and created that dissonance for him that cognitive dissonance and also that psychological uh, disassociation but now that he has this other group it's a safe environment for him to to come back to and actually acknowledge that these types of things happened and you know last thing i would love to touch on is the use of crystals in final fantasy um as both a, a storytelling tool and also a psychological concept, I I do not consider myself a, a like very you know spiritual herbalist or holistic kind of person, but I I uh, know and love many people who do and who swear by it, and not necessarily the the more snake oil uh, elements of it, but the the stuff that very uh, materially seems to have a positive impact on their mental state or just the the air around them. Um, my partner uh, uses crystals and finds some level of comfort in them. And so it's been interesting to learn about that slowly over time and have some of my preconceptions pulled back a little bit. But crystals are like one of the earliest concepts in Final Fantasy. I think it was three or maybe even the first one um, where the whole the whole mission is like, hey, restore the light to these elemental crystals, fire, earth, uh, wind, uh, void for darkness and death. Um, I, and a lot of that all seems to point towards a spiritual attunement with oneself and the world around them. Something that even like minus the spiritual elements, like my, my therapist, you know, and I work on attuning myself with the things that I want and the world around me and how to navigate that effectively as a medical professional, like wh why do you think crystals are such an enduring storytelling tool and how does that focus on balance and alignment play into real world psychological practice? So crystals in, in a lot of different sets uh, and senses really represent different elemental ideas. And this has been all throughout the, like hundreds and hundreds of years all the way back. It's, it's thought to be a, a very important part of what we call Gaia or Earth. And we've, we've seen that in, in Final Fantasy as well, and all the way from one up to another. You can always find a crystal somewhere. It's just like the same thing. You can find a Chocobo or a Kupo. Um, it's, they're just there. Um, and... One of the biggest things with, with those crystals and those alignments is they're technically used in order to, one, get rid of tarnish, to flow into uh, different aspects of being, and also capture bad energy in a, on a lot of different levels. And so let's say when they were going and uh, cleaning up the and re-attuning re themselves to the, the crystals, they they actually were also on that spiritual journey for themselves. It's almost like a, a meditation hymn for themselves that they have to get rid of the world's um, Icor, Icor, um, in a sense, in order to be able to to make it less tarnished. And that less tarnish means that there is is something there that they can um, hope to to make better. 
and through that you can't really like say touch uh, benevolence or or spirituality and the cleanness of what crystals represent of the of, of light in a sense until you yourself are cleansed and so with that 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 a whole idea of, of cleansing yourself is is we see it we saw it in crystals it was final fantasy we saw it in the zelda one as well going through the temples you have to in order to get the the triforce um all three parts of it you have to cleanse yourself of all of these other other aspects and the symbolism within it of the the fire water air void earth all of those things are, have a representation and we see it across culture across anime across everything and they continue to come back to d different features of of being able to be have that passion to be able to have that soothing to to the destruction and the stalwart ability of of of, of earth in some cases so with with those crystals and those different attunements we we've really focused in on what do they mean for the person what is that uh, symbolic uh, representation of them and that that type of idea can be pulled into into the world because we have crystals in all sorts of different colors they are made across the world and they come into existence through um, Gaia in a sense pushing them out of the earth of forming them into into these types of uh, pictures and, and crystals and colors and one of the the bigger biggest things of, of science has gone through and be like oh it's part of these these types of uh, elements and that's why they're this color and we're like cool 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 but it still has this meaning for us and it still has this other uh, other aspects for it and so crystal healing is it's kind of taken off uh, in a new age uh, aspect to to really hone in on what do we want out of the out of the world around us and what do we want to believe in do we do we put everything into the crystal no do we uh, believe that it's, it's there to kind of help us guide us on a little bit absolutely and it's it's kind of like yeah. a little bit of a pagan rit ritual on some level which is again perfectly fine to to do well, Dr. Bean, I think you have made a Final Fantasy fan out of me. I, I feel the urge now to go pick up uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake and uh, see if I can uh, learn and and notice all the psychological principles that you guys explore in this book. Uh, Surpassing the Limit Break, The Psychology of Final Fantasy, edited by Anthony and Bean. And if you'll indulge me, I would... Uh, the authors include Rachel Cohort, uh, Niles P. Music, I'm going to butcher some of these last names, William Gibbons, Julian Grasso, Tyler Secor, Shane Tilton, Wind Goodfriend, and Melissa Huntley, Angie Branham, uh, a Bay Area person, I believe, yep. and Anthony, uh, yourself, Anthony Bean, uh, Emery Daniel Jr., Luis Gran, Ryan Kelly, and Chelsea M. Hughes, and Stephanie Orm. Uh, all of these essays were really fascinating to dive through, even as someone who isn't uh, the, previously that into the Final Fantasy series. And uh, I want to thank you for, you know, uh, taking some time out of your day to tell us a little bit more from your uh, very professional perspective. So the book is out uh, when and where can people uh, buy it? So the book comes out august 31st they can buy straight from our website uh, at leilangpublishing.com they can go to our geek therapy training.com page our facebook page also has them if you want free shipping and a little bit of a discount go ahead and buy it through there uh, we have it all running through there and you can actually see some of the videos of some of the authors talking about their chapters as well because uh, we wanted to make sure that people like got to see some of the how our, our authors kind of thought about their their chapters uh but you can also find us up on uh, i'm video game doc on twitter um on facebook we're we're pretty much everywhere but definitely search out geektherapytraining.com and see see what we kind of do because uh, we have a lot of fun <laughs> dr anthony bean thank you so much and folks thanks for tuning into the 1099 podcast feel free to follow us on spotify twitter itunes all the usual places you're going to get podcasts uh we are and i will be including a link to the books uh that dr bean mentions uh in our twitter feed and in the show notes if you want to peruse through there uh and yeah hope you all stay safe and have a great week 